Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. We're wrapping up a series that we've been doing for a couple weeks now, talking about truth. Uh, We talked about truth being the reality that, well, the um, standard of truth that we uh, measure all reality to. It's the standard we use to say if something's right, wrong, good, bad, you name it. That is what truth is. And today we want to wrap up because we've talked a lot about where our source of truth is, God's word, that's authority. We've talked about so many different aspects of truth, but today is an important one. And today will probably make some of you feel uncomfortable. Some of you. Should make all of us uncomfortable. Because today we need to talk about how do we communicate truth? How do I communicate truth to people who just don't care? Or worse, how do I communicate truth in a way that is loving towards other people rather than just stirring up a fight? Now, I have a nephew named Dylan. Dylan is in the Air Force. He's been in the Air Force for, I think, 15 years now. Uh, Dylan, uh, at the early part of his career in the military, he was shipped over to Lake and Heath uh, in, in the UK, and he was also over in Germany for a while. And uh, as he was over there, he was uh, without his wife. She was back in the States, and he had a lot of idle time on his hands. And, and Dylan uh, took on a new hobby, and it's not what I'm recommending, Uh, Dylan decided that since people are so apt to go onto the internet and get into groups, uh, very unique groups, he decided to infiltrate these groups and stir up some fun. That's what he called it. Uh, I have a a, a couple of illustrations. One of these was a UFO abduction group, Uh, people that literally said they had been abducted by aliens. Dylan uh, went uh, on and would stir up questions and comments. One of them was saying, you know what, I've seen these light orbs. And he'd be like, hey, I've had similar experiences with these creatures as well. Uh, question, and he starts answering, asking all these questions. Uh, there was another time somebody asked, do our pets get abducted? He's like, well, actually, my cat has. And, and, and they taught him 23 different languages. And he and I can actually sit around and talk about his experience of being abducted. And, and these people in the group are like, wow, that is fascinating. Can you tell me more? And he, he had a ball with this. He did one, I'll never forget, that uh, he stirred up with, with, hopefully this is not sensitive with any of you, any military in here. He, he pretended to be a mom who had a kid in the junior ROTC, was a captain in the junior ROTC. And he said, as this mother, he pretended, he's like, there, we went to the mall and my son, who's a captain in the JROTC, came across some Air Force guys, and they refused to stand up and salute him. Is that right or what? Or is that wrong? I think, and, and it, people started to just explode on him with this. He just saw it all as good sport. He loved to stir up controversy. He loved to troll people. That's the, t- the uh, phrase for it. But uh, this was his sport. Uh, now, I know we can laugh at some of these and be like, that sounds like a lot of fun. Don't do it, Okay. I know some of you don't go stirring up controversies, but to be honest, uh, we do this. We bring up things that are sensitive in nature. We find a way to bring up things that are sensitive in nature. And honestly, some of us are really good at picking a fight. And we know it. And we do nothing about it. We love to argue. We love to bicker. We love to debate things. 
Some are important. Let me say this. Some of these are important. I'm going to give some examples in a second up on the screen. Okay, there it is. You can look at this for two seconds, and I can tell you, you can bring some of these up, and I'm saying this. Some of these are important to talk about. Some of these, if not all, some of these are important to talk about. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, yes, even in our own church, I've seen these brought up, and they have not been brought up with any kind of grace at all. And we've beaten people over the head with our viewpoint on things, and we've been dismissive of those that don't agree with us on whatever side of whatever any of these are. But we don't just do it on these big items. This is easy. I talk about these a lot because I know controversy over these. How about when you get together with your family? Guess what's coming? Thanksgiving. I hope none of you are like, oh, no, i got to invite them to the Thanksgiving dinner. You know what I'm talking about. you got that uncle that you'll bring over, and they'll bring up what happened last year with the family, uh, and that's just going to stir up heat, and then there's going to be arguing, and turkey's going to be flying everywhere, and people are going to be leaving early, and we haven't even you know, celebrated that the Cowboys lost that day. I, you know, it's bad. It's bad. And, and we know it. We, we don't just have to deal with these big topic issues. Sometimes it's just the family issues. We like to stir up. Or maybe we're just clueless and insensitive that we stir up controversy and we stir up fights. And yet, to add to this, in our cultural context... We are told that to be an activist for something is a virtue. Not just have an opinion, but be belligerent and shout down people that don't agree with you. Don't even listen to them. In fact, separate yourself from them. Stay away from them. This is a virtue today. Now, the last few weeks, we talked about the fact that we are people of the truth. God's word. The standard by which all reality is measured. And in order for us to declare truth, we need to be both salt, which is a preservative, and light, which brings light to darkness, in an era of time when things are decaying and getting darker and darker. And we say we have the standard of truth, and we are called to declare it. How do we do that? How do I declare something that is so controversial? 50 years ago, most people would have put some, you know, worth into the Bible being a standard of truth. And these days, now it's seen as something that's divisive. Uh, it splits people. It's controversial. How do we declare truth in this? Kids, in here, if you can master how to biblically declare truth in a way, even in your school, even with your friends, even with your teachers, it is going to do a credit for you for the rest of your life. Don't buy in that you just need to shout people down, have signs, do marches, et cetera, et cetera, because sometimes that actually makes things worse because people don't listen to you all the time. Let's find a biblical way of declaring truth and important things in a way that honors God. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture today, and we're going to take them apart piece by piece. Uh, the first uh, passage of Scripture, we're going to go back to 2 Timothy, which we looked at last week. We looked at chapter 4 last week. This week, we're going to look at chapter 2. Um, as I mentioned last week, this is written by Paul to a man that he was mentoring and to ministry. He was telling him how to go about to be a minister of a church and uh, be a church leader. Uh, now, I, I know that when you hear that, and when many of us see this, 
We, we know 2 Timothy is written to a guy who is training up for ministry. And you may be tempted to say, well, this is a lot of stuff that only applies to those that are pastors or elders or overseers. But the reality is, is that elders and overseers, we try to live our life in a way that sets a standard for the rest of our church. We're not perfect men, okay? Uh, the leaders in, in this church, were, we love the Lord. We seek to honor him with all our life. We are working on being Christ-like. We're trying to set a standard for the rest of the church, and so knowing that, that means that this is something to attain to yourself in your walk with Christ. Paul says this to the young man. He says, so flee, Timothy, from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels. So before we go any further, let's take this apart. He says, flee youthful passions. Uh, Timothy, you're a young man. And young, immature people, let me tell you a little bit about them. They will oftentimes love to get in a good debate. They will love to fight. They'll love to pick fights. Uh, I always joke about when I was in seminary that it was the younger students in there that seemed to know better than the professor and they would make sure that the professor knew it. How many of you love know-it-alls? How many of you are? I'm kidding. We're not going to say that. Uh, no, we don't. They drive us crazy. The one who knows everything and is an expert on everything. And they'll make sure you know it. Humbly. Not really. Flee youthful passions. Don't buy into the, what we're going to see in a second. The foolish and ignorant controversies, Timothy. Instead, pursue righteousness. Right living with God. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue peace. That should be your focus as a young man who's seeking to serve the Lord. And he says to do this, he says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, surround yourself, get good company with people that are trying to live in a way that honors God. Wise people, students, surround yourself with good friends that are not getting caught up in stuff that is just, I say it lovingly, dumb Surround yourself with kids who are trying to make a difference, especially those that are trying to make a difference with the Lord. Surround yourself with them because who you hang around with ultimately ends up deciding what direction your life is going to go. Surround yourself with good company. And Paul says this, you know what? Surround yourself with these people that are pursuing the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Foolish. The Greek word for foolish, just so you know, is moros. Sound uh, familiar? Moron. Literally means moronic, idiotic, useless, dumb. Have nothing to do with dumb, ignorant, which means useless questions, ignorant, foolish, stupid, unintelligent controversies. Now, today we could go uh, out to, I'll say Gus's, okay? And let's say you and I go to Gus's. And there's useless things, and then there's good things. I can order something healthy there to eat, something that's going to be good for my body, nutritional value, all this stuff. Or I could go there and just hit up the dessert case and eat nothing but dessert. And as much as I love dessert, it is useless calories. It's just going to go in, I'm going to get a sugar rush, drive everyone nuts, and then I'm going to have a crash. Whereas I could get something that is useful for my body. Don't 
have dessert controversies. Don't get pulled into them. Controversies there is anything really you can argue with. Controversy is something that we look for things to argue over. But here's the thing. I want you to tie this with that first verse. He's saying this is what a mature person looks like. A mature believer avoids foolish, ignorant controversies. They don't stir up fights. They aren't trying to pick a fight, an argument, prove how smart they are, prove they're right. A mature Christian acts differently, Timothy. And we know that from this, what we argue over shows our maturity. If you're a contentious person, if you are one that people feel they need to walk on eggshells around, it's time to pause and say, how mature am I in the Lord? Because throughout Scripture, and we're going to see today, that has nothing to do with a mature believer. An immature believer loves a good fight, loves a good argument, loves to be controversial. They live to be controversial. What you argue over, the substance of it, let me say this, and and we'll get to this. This doesn't mean that you can't argue over the truth of God's word. That's the difference. We can have disagreements over God's word in a civil manner, but when we're getting caught up in the peripheral and the things that are not important and that becomes the hills that we die on, that is immature. When that is what we're known for, that is immature. Churches never do that, though, by the way. I'm glad you asked. I looked up this week, a church consultant put up. Uh, he, had, he consults hundreds of churches a year, goes in, evaluates what's going on, gives them help. He listed his 25 top church controversies that churches split over that he had to help. So these are legitimate. These are legit that these happen. One was over how long the beard length should be of the worship pastor. I'm sure she's wonderful. I'm kidding, that's a joke, I'm joking. Uh, How long the beard should be. Another was, should we buy a weed whacker for the church? You know those weed whackers I hear, they get pretty demonic. A church split over a weed whacker, okay? There was a few others. Let's see, Uh, there were people that left a church because they called something a pot luck, and they wanted to call it a pot blessing because luck has no place in the church. Uh, They argued and split a church over which picture of Jesus they should put in their lobby, And there was another that split over what grape juice they should use for communion. And as much as we hear these and we laugh, we're like, that is so dumb. Has that ever happened here? Is there anything that we've stirred up that an outsider would look at us and say, really? You're you're caught up and ready to leave a church over that? You want to pick a fight with others over that? A mature believer does not go to pick a fight. A mature believer seeks faith, righteousness, love, peace. And and, and it goes on. In verse 24, he says this, And the Lord's servant, Timothy, must not be quarrelsome. They are not a person who's seeking to get into fights with everyone. Instead, instead, be kind to everyone. Be able to teach Patiently endure evil. Now, don't just skim through these. To be kind to everyone, to be found in love, 
means that we are seeking the well-being of people we strongly disagree with. Did you catch that? We are seeking the well-being of people we strongly disagree with. Have you been in an argument over one of these topics even we had that are going on in our country and thought, man, I just want the best for this person? Or have we been thinking about, I'm going to get the win in this argument? He says here, be kind to everyone. Be kind to everyone. Uh, He says, be able to teach, be able to instruct each other, not just state an opinion, not just say, well, this is what's right, and you're just ignorant. Be able to teach. Hey, here's why I have this viewpoint. Here's my understanding of this. And be patient and enduring evil. I'm surprised at how many people get in an argument and they're like, what? I didn't expect a person had a different view than me. How dare they push back on me? We're in America. We are not all robots. We all have different opinions on things. And people yet are surprised that there's pushback. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, we uh, had friends that had one above ground swimming pool, one of the big round ones. And uh, we would go there. And uh, all of us, there was like, you know, five or six of us in this pool, we would start walking around the corner in this big circle, all of us. And it would just get faster and faster. And slowly the water began to really, 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 really spin. You almost had like this whirlpool in the middle of it. And, and it was all fun until all the water went out and their parents had to pay the water bill and they, to refill it. But uh, uh, what I would do from time to time is I would stop and I would try walking the other direction. Sometimes it was so strong when I was a little kid, I couldn't walk the other direction. When I walk into an argument, it's like that. I have to expect that a person is going to have pushback, but I don't run away. I stay patient, enduring evil, enduring conflicting thoughts, enduring people that may not agree with you. I'm willing to be patient with them. I'm going to make a commitment because I'm kind to them, and I am going to be patient with them. Here's a reality some of us have to understand, that truth may take time. Declaring truth may take more than your one little slam dunk argument that you try to dunk on someone's head. It may take time. You may have to communicate it again and again and again in kindness. Again, again. And just like it took a whole bunch of us to move that swimming pool water in one direction, it's going to take repeated attempts before things start catching on. Am I committed to people I disagree with? Do I seek their well-being? Am I just concerned about being the smartest person in the room? I've got all the facts. You don't know anything. He goes on, verse 25. Not only that, Timothy, a wise Christian, a mature believer, corrects his opponents with what? Five people said it. Let's try this again. Correct his opponents with? Gentleness. That was rather harsh. I'm kidding. Gentleness, exactly. Gentleness. Kindness, gentleness, really? What kind of guy is this? This is a soft dude who doesn't stand up for himself. No, he speaks truth. It's how he speaks truth. Corrects his opponents. He's known for being civil when opposition may not be. He's known for being able to have comp- uh, conversations with people he strongly disagrees with. And even if they come back at him violently, he's able to control it with his gentleness. 
We're going to come back to this verse in a second, but it's important to learn how to control a situation. Uh, police have taken a lot of flack over the last few years over violence. And some, you have bad cops every once in a while. But one thing that has happened is there has been a movement of people learning a martial arts style called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, the reason that they are trying to teach police this is that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is something that instead of punching or kicking a person, something offensive, the point of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to get a hold of the person in a hold that you can control them so there will not be any more violence. It's about incapacitating them so that they cannot continue to fight. And so they're seeing that rather than police coming in and having to be immediately going straight to punch, kick, sticks, all this, if we can just teach them this, this may help in a lot of the situations that people have pushed back on the police and the violence that they have done. It's about getting control of the situation. Yes, it still requires firmness and strength to get a grapple on somebody, but rather than just beating and bludgeoning somebody or having to get to an, a high violence level, it's about controlling the situation. Paul says this. This is my paraphrase. When you deal with opponents, you need to do some truth Brazilian jiu-jitsu with gentleness. You're controlling the situation and the conversation that's happening. You need to get a hold of it before it explodes. You need to extinguish some things. Let's go on into verse, verse 25, if we can look at it again. God may perhaps, if you've done that, if you've taken control of the situation rather than just go straight to an argument and a fight, God may perhaps... Grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. When I have to confront a person with biblical truth, it's going to take time. It's going to take gentleness. It's going to take kindness. Everything the opposite of what we have going on in our culture right now. But maybe because of the way we've treated them, it opens up the possibility of them coming to a point of repentance and genuine change in their life. James 1, 19 and 20, you can write down. James 1, 19 to 20 tells us, let every person be quick to... One person got it. I'm seeing who knows their Bible here. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and then be slow to anger. Listen more than you run your mouth. Listen. Understand a person. Here's the thing. People we strongly disagree with, just so you know, they didn't pick their position to be your enemy. They have their reasoning and rationale for why they have their stances on things. And have you ever sought to really, with an open mind, understand how they came to that conclusion? I'm not saying agree with them. Have you understood how they came to that conclusion. When I was in seminary, I had people on the whole Calvinism-Arminianism debate constantly going back and forth and trying to outwit and sword fight each other and all of this. And for me, I chose to take a position where I tried to understand where both sides were coming from. Yes, I have my conviction on one side there, but I understand how the other side got there. That I don't think we do enough of. To think that people actually have a reason why they hold to the positions they do. Biblically, or even some of these things in the world. How much do you seek to get to know them? 
And I want to add this in here, and this is the second thing we have down from this. Our engagement of opposition shows concern. How we declare truth may have to have some friction there. How we do it, our engagement of a person who opposes us and the way we handle it shows a genuine concern in that individual. I repeat it again. Do you care about people you disagree with? No, do you really care? Do you care enough to be patient with them, gentle with them, stick with them, try to understand them so you can have a better conversation and not to speak out of emotion and ignorance? Your engagement in opposition shows concern with them. When I declare God's truth to you, when I get to do this every week from the authority of Scripture, it's out of concern for myself that I am living this way, that all of us have the same standard that we are trying to honor God with our lives and that we are growing to be more like him. But there's a second passage I want to look at this morning. And it's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Ephesians 4, 14 to 16 will be up on the screen. Let me give you the context of this. I use Ephesians 4 a lot because this has been a a ministry-changing viewpoint for me over the last few years. That ministry is more about the leaders empowering, delegating, and turning ministry over to the people here than the expectation to be that just the leadership, the elders and the deacons are all the ones that do ministry and maybe a few people here or there. It is the whole body. In the verses before this, that's what Paul's saying. He said, hey, this is why God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists so that we equip you to do the acts of ministry inside and outside the church. My measurement of success for our leadership team is in a replication of leaders, not in how much I did myself. That's the sign of a healthy church when all of us are ministering to one another. He says this before this uh, verses that we're going to pick up on, and he continues to the church in Ephesus, Paul, and says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. He's let, he says this, when the church is healthy, when the leadership is equipping, delegating, and then giving you the authority to serve the church, serve one another, the people in the rows next to you, behind you, in front of you, when we're doing that, we're no longer children. We're mature. We've grown up. We're not just tossed around. We're smart. We know God's word. We know the standard of truth. That is so important because then we aren't tossed around and just believing every little controversy here and there or stirring up controversy ourselves because... They're a waste of time. They're a waste of time. And then he goes on. Verse 15 and 16 says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Now this gets abused. I'm not going to lie. We've had people say this to us when we've made a statement about God's word. And they're like, well, you're not really speaking that in love. No, it's just you didn't want to hear it. And maybe, though, they're right, though. Maybe we were saying it in a fashion that we shouldn't have. Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body of Christ is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow 
so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking truth in love. Speaking God's word in love. Genuine concern for people around us in the body as well as how we declare truth outside the body. This better determine our tone. See, there's two ways I can bring truth. You know, I hear you say something that you shouldn't. I'm like, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's what the Bible says. How many of you are going to be like, I am so convicted right now. (laughs) And yet, sometimes if we aren't watching ourselves, that's exactly what we're doing. Hit a person over the head. Slam. Well, it's you're wrong. You're wrong, and here it is. Take that. The Word of God is a weapon in spiritual warfare. But we must declare it and let the Holy Spirit be the one that does the conviction. Your tone is so important with other believers, with others outside of here. I've seen so many Christians, and I've told you story after story, where I've seen people just bam, right over the head of a Christian. No grace whatsoever. No kindness whatsoever. No love and genuine concern. It's, a, almost, like a, it's almost like a status. You want to make sure they know you know the truth and they're wrong so we can elevate ourselves. Speaking the truth in love. Better put this down or I'll start hitting more things. Speaking the truth in love. As I said, I've just I, I've been guilty of this, I, you know, and I grew up in a in a background that you just clobbered people with scripture, just clobber them. You just want to. It's like dumping salt on a snail. You want to watch it coil up and all this and suffer. I, and I don't believe that's speaking the truth in love. Speak the truth, say truth, but do so according to this. It says that the end goal of speaking the truth in love is that our body is strengthened. We're more unified than we were before. We're healthier. That the whole body is maturing together. It's not, you know, the body of Christ that, you know, the thumb keeps growing and maturing, but the rest of the hand does not. So you have this tiny hand with a really big thumb, okay? Maturing all together. But it's only done in our declaring God's truth to one another and done so in a kind, loving way manner so that we will all grow up into Christ likeness. And that leads us to the third or the fourth um, point this morning. Our handling of disagreements shows our goals. What are we really trying to do? What are we really, really trying to do? Are we just trying to win an argument? Are we just trying to affirm ourselves and how right we are? No. The goal of disagreeing in the church, the goal of speaking the truth in love is the building up of the body of Christ. The goal of speaking the truth and love outside of the church is that people have a desire to come to the Christ that you say you represent when you're speaking truth. Our handling of disagreement shows our goals. That brings us to our point this morning. By the way, did I miss any of the points up there? I think I might have missed one. Did I get all four up there? Two, that's what I thought. Two was how we disagree shows our confidence. I just realized that. 
How we disagree shows our confidence. When I drift away from my notes, that's what happens. How we disagree shows our confidence. What our confidence is in. Are we confident in the word of God? Or are we confident in our own opinions? Our point this morning is this, that truth-telling is as concerned about style as it is substance. Style as it is substance. We, mean, we need to be concerned about how we are giving truth to people just as much as what we're saying to them. Do I care about this person growing or coming closer to Christ or am I just seeking to be right? There was an article I came across several years ago. A guy uh, had written a blog up about this. He was just talking about the craziness of being online and just how people arguing and stirring up controversy and fights and all this stuff. And he wrote a list. I'm only going to give you a few of them. Uh, the name of the article is I'm Thinking It Over. Alan Jacobs wrote this article and said that he has set some rules for himself when it comes to things that are going on in our world. The first is, I don't have to speak about things that I know little or nothing about. I don't have to. There's no law that says I have to do that. Second, he said, I don't have to speak about issues that will be totally forgotten in a few weeks or months by the people who at this moment are most strenuously demanding that I give an answer. Three, if I can bring to an issue heat, but no light, it is probably best I remain silent. Four, delayed communication made when people have had time to think and to calm their emotions is almost always more valuable than immediate reaction. And lastly, some conversations are more meaningful and effective in living rooms or at dining tables or dinner tables than in the middle of Main Street. Maybe we need to think about our style a little more and what a person who loves Jesus, how they should respond. How they should respond. How do we put this into practice at GFC? Three things I want to challenge us as a church to do. One, Exercise humility in matters of opinion. Exercise humility in matters of opinion. Guess what? You might be right. You might be. Be humble about it. That'll affect your tone when you choose to not be the one that wins the argument. Two, communicate truth with kind methodology. Really think about how you're saying things, how you may be coming across. That's a hard one because you're not the other person seeing you. But some of us need to think about how might this come across if I say this in the wrong way or the right way. Use kindness, the best of the other person. Have that in mind. And lastly, anticipate pushback, but remain devoted. People are going to disagree with you. <gasps> oh my goodness, I can't believe it. How dare you? People have opinions. Anticipate it. No, they're going to push back. Honestly, some of us, if we know there's going to be pushback, we may not talk about certain things because we don't feel like getting into it. Anticipate the pushback, but remain devoted to the person. Remain devoted to truth. Remain devoted to them and their maturity if they are believers. Their growth in Christ. You want your bond with them 
to become closer as a result of your conversation, not further apart. This is going to be a challenge for us as a church and a time and a culture that's telling us to argue and fight over everything. And so one last little challenge for us as we move out of here. You want to know how to put this into action today? Extinguish an argument before you even start one. That may not sound like it makes any sense. I simply mean this. Pick your battles. What really is important? Yes, we can have our little fun, you know, tease arguments. I mean, I'm going to stir up enough of them for fun, uh, you know, white lights versus colored lights at Christmas time. And we're going to pray for the people that prefer white lights over colored lights because colored lights are beautiful. I'm joking. See, I'm trying to stir up one. But that's all in fun. There's a difference between when we have a little bit of fun with each other. It's not meant to tick each other off. It's just sort of one of those ways sometimes we bond And when we know we're bringing out something to get somebody riled up, we can extinguish it by not going there, to stop it before it even starts, and to choose humility above all things. I close with this story. Um, I've mentioned uh, author Dallas Willard before. Dallas has several really good books out I had to read in seminary. Uh, Dallas was a professor of philosophy at USC, uh, and uh, at times he would have, as I've mentioned before, you have those students that know better than the professor. And he had been teaching a concept, and there was that student who's like, oh, oh, Professor Willard. And then he goes off on this diatribe and basically calls Dallas Willard ignorant. He's a freshman. Dallas Willard's been teaching there for 40 years. And Dallas Willard just says, well, you know what? I think this is probably a good time for us to end the class for the day. And he dismissed the class. A friend of Dallas's had sat in that day. He's like, why, did you, why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you shoot that kid down? Why didn't you put him in his place? And Dallas Willard said a couple things back to him. He said, I was practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Being right is actually a very hard burden to be able to carry gracefully and humbly. That's why nobody likes to sit next to the kid in class who's right all the time. And this was the last thing he said to this friend. One of the hardest things in the world is to be right and not hurt other people with it. Style and substance. Kindness and not being quarrelsome. Can you be humble enough and care enough about the other person but sometimes you may lose because you're playing the long game of winning them to the truth. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.